Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Good evening. You guys doing well tonight? Sort of? You doing all right? Okay. Go turn to your neighbor and give him a high five. Tell him that you love him. Tell him that you're really disappointed that the Cowboys lost today. Cowboys broke your, they break your heart. Guys, can I just, can I warn you, don't be a Dallas Cowboy fan. Just don't do it, okay? They break your heart every single Sunday. Um, man, I'm glad you're here um, this evening. Have you, have you had a good day so far? Eight of you about a good day? Okay. That's all right. That's why you, that's why you come to church, right? Um, if you give me uh, just a few minutes, I want to talk about, it's actually our last message in our sermon series, as, as my beautiful wife mentioned. And uh, it's pretty amazing. If, if you know anything about our church, we, we never finish series at all. Uh, this is an expository series, so we actually take you um, verse by verse through uh, the letter, and we finished it. So tonight's going to be our last message. I'm excited. I'm so proud of myself that we actually finished um, this sermon series. I want to thank our teaching team. They did an incredible job this series. And uh, man, I'm so glad that I'm here with you. Uh, last night I was in Seattle. And uh, went to uh, City Church, uh, family runs, leads that church, and it was our 25th anniversary. We had a great time, just celebrated all that God has done. And I remember thinking um, this morning, I was at the airport, SeaTac, at 4.30 in the morning, and I was crying. Okay, it was just, it's way too early, and uh, there's too many people in the airport, and I was getting a little grumpy. Um, but I remember thinking um, how excited I was to come back and be with you guys. City Church... You know, thank you for the awe. Um, you know City Church is a world-class church, but I got to tell you, I think you guys are the best in the world. I think we have the best church in the world. We got the best people. You guys are amazing. I'm going to talk a little bit about friendship tonight. I don't know. I just think God is, is up to something in our church, and not just our church, but churches in this valley, and God loves the Treasure Valley. Do you believe that? Okay. So... I just want to share from uh, Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, and uh, I'm going to read through uh, the end of the chapter, and we will be done. Uh, Paul is, is and, and I'll just refresh your, your memory a little bit, uh, over, over the last four years, I mean four months, we've been talking about a um, bad joke tonight, sorry guys, um, but the last four months we've been talking about... Um, uh, creation and what God wants to do with creation. We've been talking about eschatology and and um, heaven and earth kind of intersecting. And we, we, we've been talking about some big thoughts. Uh, one of Paul's favorite sayings is being in Christ, in him. And uh, he wants to say that if you make a decision to follow Jesus and you trust in him, uh, that your life is bound up in the life of Jesus. That's good news. So you're not in your circumstances. Uh, you might be going through some difficult times in your life, uh, but you're not in your circumstances because you're in Christ. So we talked about that. We talked about through the death and burial and resurrection resurrection of Jesus. Uh, God won the victory over the powers. That's good news. Can I get an amen to that? And uh, the last few weeks we've been in Colossians chapter 3. We've talked about um, the styles of behavior that we need to put on. Some dehumanize. So we've got to put those off, which is just cheap parodies of sex and angry speech acts. We talked about that. Okay, um, let me just say this really quick about sex. Two weeks ago or three weeks, we three weeks ago we talked about this. God invented sex, right? And sex, uh, in the context of marriage, is a beautiful thing. And all the married, married folks said, amen. And all the single people weep bitterly. So I just, I, I'm going to do that for the next 25 years. I just love it. Uh, but um, uh, it, it's, it, we talked about evil, um, um, misdirected. Basically, evil is a good misdirected. And so what happens is we take a very good thing and we use it for our own sake. Uh, and that's why we have evil in our world. And so uh, we talked about, okay, uh, even a little bit about pornography. Pornography is not just about naked bodies. It's about intimacy. It's about, it's about this desire for transcendence. And it's important as followers of Jesus. There's no condemnation here. Can I get an amen? Um, but uh, as followers of Jesus, uh, we, we have to put to death these things, such as pornography and lust and just these cheap parodies of sex in order for us to truly be who God wants us to be. So again, we talked about angry speech acts. Um, we talked about 
My wife talked about a theology of, of holiness over a theology of happiness. Yes, God wants you to feel good, but we don't live by our feelings, right? We live by uh, God's word. God knows what's best for you. And that's good news. And, uh, and then we moved there a couple of weeks ago. Shane talked about um, compassion. Our English word concussion actually comes from compassion. Compassion, if you think of it, is kind of like love trauma. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you love people, uh, the more you just feel for people, right? Have you ever had that feeling for somebody? You just see somebody, and your heart just goes out to them. Um, the closer you get to Jesus and the more you follow Jesus and the more you're in the presence of Jesus, you feel that in your life. Now, of course, we don't live by our feelings. We live by God's word. But the closer you get to Jesus, your feelings will line up with his love. So we talked about all of that. And we talked about gender roles a little bit. We, so we talked about a lot of stuff in this sermon series. Now we come to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 2. And Paul gives us this um, kind of pr- some, some practical thoughts Uh, Leading up to verse 7, so I'm going to just go through really quick about four or five verses. Verse 7 is kind of the grand finale of Paul's letter. You used to not think that, but it's kind of like Paul uh, has been building towards this climactic moment in verse 7. And in verse 7 to the end of the chapter, he gives us a list of ten friends. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Before I do that, Paul says, okay, um, we need to continue steadfastly in prayer. How many believe in prayer? Okay, continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul, Paul is making a case that prayer, you're supposed to take prayer and you have to place it at the very center of your life. Prayer is at the very center of the Christian life. It's at the very center of being on mission. Uh, it's at the very center of, of human flourishing. So Paul is making a strong case that um, prayer is to be at the center. It's not, it's not something we do on the side. It's not a marginalized thing or a marginal thing. It's not something that just kind of wanders on the circumference of your life. We're, we're called to pray. In fact, Jesus, he said, okay, guys, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, he looks to his disciples and he said this, before, before you uh, pray for all your problems, how many of you have problems? Okay, we got 99 problems, right? We all got problems, Right before you're like, oops, I did it again, right? Before you, you know, you sin. We all, we all sin this week, right? Um, except for my wife, because she's almost perfect. Um, but uh, what happens is, is like, you know, we, we, we sin, and then we automatically come to God, and we treat God, and this is a good thing. God will forgive you of your sins. Uh, God, God loves you. Um, but I think what happens is, is that we start simply when it comes to prayer, we start with our sin. We start with, oh, I got to get a job or, man, life is just falling apart at the seams. And, and we go to God and we try to, in a way, we kind of treat him like a vending machine, right? So we reduce prayer to kind of like this uh, selfish petitionary exercise, it just, we, we, we simply have a relationship with God when we're in trouble. Now, again, God loves you so much, and he, he's, a, man, he's a good father, and he wants to be involved in your life, and he wants you to be a part of what he's doing. Um, but prayer is so much more than uh, just going to God and uh, getting your sins forgiven. So Jesus said, hey, when, when you start um, praying, there's a sequence. you got to follow the sequence. And if you follow this sequence, you'll, you'll truly... Uh, lean into or you'll truly uh, learn human flourishing or what it means to flourish when you follow me. And he said, I want you to address God not as your king, not as your provider, not as your judge, but as your father. It's a starting point for prayer. Uh, there, it's, it's this collaborative relationship that, and this is what Jesus is saying, in prayer we have this collaborative relationship with our Father. It's funny, my kids, uh, my boys in particular, they know that um, I'm a pastor. My wife and I are pastors. So they've been going to school, and they've been telling everybody that they're pastors. And uh, they do this in classroom, and then they go out to recess, and they hurt all the kids. So we're trying to figure that one out, right? So uh, I secretly told, I think, Quincy, hey, dude, just uh, if, if you're telling people that you're pastors, stop it, Okay. Because uh, you, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself, and you're going to give us a bad reputation, right? So let's just wait like at least 45 years before you start doing that. Um, but uh, I want you to go to the recess. If you're going to hit guys, I'm okay with that. Just tell them after you hit them that you're a Washington Redskins fan, okay? Don't tell them you're a Christian, right? He's like, Dad, you're weird. I'm like, I, okay, whatever. Um, but uh, 
they know that we're, we're pastors, Kel and I, and, um, but they never come to our house. Uh, and I love it. I love it after school. They'll come, they'll, they'll run to the house, and they'll just like jump on you, and they'll, they'll squeeze your arms and, and your neck. And they always, the first thing that they say is, I love you, Dad. It's the best thing. Um, but the thing that they never say when they come into the house is, uh, very Reverend Wild or something like that. They never call me like, I mean, come on, I'm not like the evangelical pope. Like, I'm, they don't think of me as a pastor that's unapproachable, right? They're like, oh, very Reverend Wild, can you bless us today? They don't, man, they don't act like that. Um, their primary understanding of their relationship with me is not um, a pastor parishioner relationship. And, there's nothing, and that's a great relationship, but that's not how they see me. Uh, it's funny, a couple weeks ago, I had someone look at me and said, hey, Mr. Wild. I'm like, say what? I'm looking around. I'm like, who are you talking to? And uh, Quincy started laughing. And um, they're like, uh, this is, you know, it, Mr. Wild, it's, this is your name. I'm like, stop calling me Mr. Wild. I'm not old, right? It's kind of a formal way of talking to somebody. And I remember uh, Quincy, like, laughing. He's not Mr. Wild. He's my dad, you know? And I think um, when it comes to prayer, this is exactly what Jesus wants us um, to learn, that um, God uh, is not just your king. God certainly isn't a faceless bureaucrat. God isn't some deity out in the cosmos that maybe intervenes in your life every now and then. No, your, your God is your father. And this week, over the next seven days, prayer is certainly uh, more than this, but it's not less than this. I want you, over the next seven days, uh, to start every single day with my father. It's funny, as Americans, if we're not careful, you know what we do? We say, my feelings. Exactly. Right? And we worship at the altar of my feelings, right? Like, it's just crazy. Our feelings have, like, this godlike character to it. Well, I feel this way, so it must be true. Stop it. No, we don't worship at the altar of how we feel. But we don't worship our feelings. We come to our Father. And here's the good news. Jesus tells us that your Father, he's not, a, he's not a bad Father. He's a good Father. And he tells the disciples that, hey, man, if you being evil, he said, hey, man, right? Hey, man, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, like you take them to Fancy Freeze and you give them a chocolate shake, right? You take them to Toys R Us every now and then. You get them, like, some nice toys. You give them clothes. Like you take them to, like, Roaring Springs every now and then or whatever. And, and you're just a good father. If you know how to give good gifts to your kids and you're evil, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to you? You have a good father. And so I, I think, man, um, and again, we could have, we don't know what's going to happen this week, but I just feel like we should make a decision uh, this week um, before we come to God with, oops, I did it again, right? Or God, I need a job. Or God, I'm freaking out. How about we start with, God, you're my father. You're the best of the best. You're incredible. You're so stinking good. I don't feel like it right now. I feel like my, I feel a little bit sideways. I'm trying to figure some stuff out. I don't feel that good about myself, but I feel really good about you. And you're the greatest. And let your name be praised. And let people see how good you are. Man, if you could start there, that's when you start to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. That's when you enter into peace and righteousness, and joy. So prayer is something that we believe in. We're called to be a house of prayer, not a house of poets, not a house of preachers. We're called to be a house of prayer. And um, I think at the end of this, ser this uh, sermon, because I think this is, this is a word from God to us. I think God wants us to pick up prayer in this next chapter that we have at this church. And we gotta take up prayer, and we gotta start praying. We don't need like 20 people in the back room praying, and that's all is praying in this church. We need thousands of people to pray because God's vision for our church and for this city and for um, our kids' ministry and for all the things that God wants to do through us and all the wonderful churches in this valley is so big. Man, we, we got to start with our Father, right? Our Father, our Father. So we're going to be committed to prayer in this next season. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to be unapologetic about it. You might not like it. Here's the problem. The reason why you don't like prayer is because you have a caricature of prayer. 
You don't like, you don't like prayer. In fact, that's not prayer, what you don't like. It's something else, right? Um, when you truly understand that prayer is this entering into this collaborative relationship with your father, man, that's a game changer. Can I get an amen to that? So continue steadfastly in prayer. Again, these are just some practical injunctions as he leads us to kind of his grand finale in verse 7. He says, I also want you to be watchful. Everyone say, be watchful. I want you to be watchful. In the original language, it's just, um, it's like be vigilant, uh, be alert, be awake, uh, don't be a sleepyhead. A favorite New Testament expression is, um, in reference to Christians, is that Christians are called to be day people, is it, or people or children of the day. We're not called to be children of the night, right? We're not vampires, right? We're not zombies. We're not the walking dead. We're not, we're not a part of that, like, dark world that's dehumanizing. That's not, that's not who we are. We're children of the day. What does that even mean, Chris? Well, that, that's kind of, it has an eschatological feel to it. Uh, what Paul means, what the New Testament means in reference to being children of the day is that God's future world has arrived or rushed forward into the present. In other words, heaven has rushed forward into the present through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you can be a part of that. So you got to be vigilant and you got to be alert. Alert for what? Well, um, uh, do we have any duck hunters here? We got Ivan? You're not a duck hunter. Stop it, Ivan. Ivan, come on, you and I are in the same boat, right? We don't go out and um, kill ducks, right? But I, um, if we, maybe a few of you are duck hunters. I, I've, I've never been uh, dunk, dunk, duck hunting. Um, I've uh, never actually been hunting. But I do know and I've been told that when you're out in the wilderness and you're miserable at 345 in the morning in the pond of water with waders, right, and you're with a gun and trying to kill these defenseless little beautiful creatures, right, that you got to be vigilant, right? you got to wait for your moment. Uh, anyone watch, uh, you didn't have a Nintendo system? Remember Duck Hunt, the plastic gun? I love that game, okay? So um, I, we all can relate, right? So you had to wait. I mean, you had, to, you had to, like, zone in. You had to focus on the TV. Like, you had to remove the distractions. You're like, Mom, be quiet, okay? I've got a very important thing to do, right? So you got your plastic gun, and you're shooting the ducks, right? It's just, man, it's just a fun game. But you had to be alert. You had to be vigilant. So what is Paul saying? He says, be watchful. And he's going to explain why we need to be, need to be watchful. We need to be watchful. We need to be alert. We need to be awake because God wants us to make the most of every opportunity. What does that mean? Well, I think that means is that God is doing something every single day in our life. And we have to be awake to that. Right? Isn't it funny? And the older I get, the more I realize how I, I used to think this way. I no longer think this way. But uh, I used to think that uh, Sunday was the only day where God really moved. I mean, I didn't like didn't really think that way, but I kind of lived my life as if Sunday God was sovereign. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, economic forces was, was sov were sovereign. Uh, Saturday, God and the rest of humanity took, you know, the day off and watched college football, right? And then on Sunday, God's sovereign again. That's just simply not true. Let me just say something. Every single day is sacred. So Sunday's sacred, but also Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, God is up to something. There are all these opportunities, and God wants you to be alert. He wants you to be awake to these opportunities, and Paul will explain what those opportunities are. There are opportunities to announce the good news about Jesus. So we got to continue steadfastly in prayer. we got to be watchful in it. And I love this, with thanksgiving. We're going to talk about thanksgiving for the next 40 years. If you don't like gratitude, you're not going to like this church. I, I, I'll make an argument. You're just not going to like following Jesus. Um, practicing the art of, of thanksgiving is uh, the first thing that followers of Jesus have to learn. It's the first thing. In fact, it's the, it's the dialect of every Christian. Let me just say this really quick. If you, if you were to take evil, right, and you were to break it down, deconstruct it, like strip it down to its roots, what would you find? I would argue you would find ingratitude. I think, ingra I think the entire edifice of evil, any form of evil, 
comes down to someone practicing ingratitude. In fact, Romans will tell you that there's an inextricable connection between not being thankful and having your mind radically dislocated, having your mind twisted out of shape. The language, the biblical language in Romans is that the people were unthankful, they did not thank God, they did not honor him, and their mind was darkened. We know in neuropsychology that complaint, which is the antithesis of thanksgiving, rewires the brain for negativity, which is, it's illustrative, or it just proves what Paul said in 2,000 years ago in the book of Romans. It's why it's important that we practice thanksgiving, because the more we practice thanksgiving or gratitude, the more it resets our thinking, amen? And the more our, our thinking is reset, the more we walk out God's plan and destiny for our life, right? It's all, it all comes down to the reason why people do what they do is because of what they think upon. Now, I, I want to make a stronger argument. It's not just, you know, we just don't want to practice Thanksgiving so we can have a new mind, and that's important, but practicing Thanksgiving means that you actually get it. It means that you're in step with reality. It means that your life is lining up with heaven itself, it's, you know, this morning, yeah, I got to be honest, it was 4.30 in the morning and there were Seahawk fans that were surrounding me and I was getting nervous, I was feeling uncomfortable, I felt the spirit of depression at SeaTac. I mean, all these Seahawk fans, right? And I remember kind of grumbling, kind of complaining to myself, I'm like, ah, you know, uh, it, we, we all experience grumbling every now and then, and that's okay, uh, but chronic grumbling or chronic complaining is, is an altogether different thing. I just would make the argument, if you chronically complain your way through life, you have forgotten how good you have it. You have forgotten all the status that you have in Christ, all the glory that you have in Christ, all the promises that are now true in Jesus. You have forgotten that Jesus won the victory over the powers. You've forgotten that your life is bound up in Jesus. You have forgotten that, man, Jesus will have the last word over evil. Jesus will have the last word in this country. Jesus will have the last word over every tongue and every tribe and over every nation. Evil will not win, but God's word will always be the last word. Come on. And when you know that, you know no matter what you're going through, God will work out everything for your good. But when you complain, it's honestly, it's practicing forgetfulness. It's like you forget, my gosh, what Jesus has done for you. That used to be that, right? An Oakland Raider fan. But God got a hold of your heart. God got a hold of your mind. And God got a hold of your brokenness. And he transformed your life right side up. Now, you're not perfect, right? And you're still trying to figure things out. But when you get your mind right and you've grasped reality, you're going to start practicing or thinking your way into new thinking. Thinking your way through life. Thanksgiving is something we're going to always talk about. Be thankful. So this week, I want you to start, when it comes to prayer, with our Father. The second thing that I want you to do, I want you to practice gratitude. I want you to specifically start thanking God for something. When you feel that funk in your soul... On Monday morning, Monday blues, right? Or if you feel just, you wake up and you just feel like just something's off. I want you, the first thing you do, I want you to thank God for something specific. I can't think of anything, trust me. If you spend at least two minutes and you start thinking about it, God will start speaking to you. God has done so much for all of us, amen? So then um, Paul moves into verse three. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. Let's just stay there really quick and we'll move on. So prayer, yes, is this collaborative relationship that we have with Jesus. We believe in prayer. Can I get an amen, church? But Paul is also saying that prayer um, has um, causal impact. You've heard me say this um, a lot. I quote C.S. Lewis a lot. If you don't like C.S. Lewis, I'm sorry, but uh, 50 years ago, uh, he talked about prayer, and uh, he said prayer is not a weaker kind of causality, it's a greater kind. It's a greater kind. What does that mean, Chris? Well, C.S. Lewis is making the argument that prayer is the greatest force in the universe. 
It's greater than um, atomic fission, right? It's greater than a nuclear bomb. It's greater than any force in the cosmos. And uh, he's making this argument that it's through prayer that we can actually do something to creation. Actually, God, through prayer, will actually do something through your life. Prayer is powerful. Well, some of you might be thinking, okay, Chris, if prayer is that powerful, then why do I not get my my prayers answered? Well, um, C.S. Lewis, his retort to that is pretty simple. And he said, because prayer is so powerful, God has to exercise discretionary power over it. Could you imagine if God gave you everything that you wanted? You would be married to the wrong person. All of us would be in Vegas doing who knows what, right? Running around going crazy, losing our minds. Like if God gave us everything we wanted, it would kill us. Sometimes people make the mistake that, hey, you've been praying about something and you haven't heard anything and you feel like God hasn't answered. I'll just say something. God always answers every prayer of yours. Every prayer of yours. In fact, every prayer is a yes, or every response of God to your prayer is a yes. It's always a yes. Now, within the framework of a yes, God might say no. Why? Because he has something better for you. God might say not yet. You might mistake it for no. God's just simply saying, hey, just slow your row, right? I have some really good things in, in, in store for you. But right now, you, couldn't, you can't handle it. So sometimes we mistake a, a si- the, si- the silence from God as a no. God's simply saying, not yet. But the good news is you have a good father who answers your prayers. And he works through us and through prayer. We can actually make, this is going to be a, sh- a shock to some of you, we can make a difference in this world through prayer. Paul says, hey, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. What? So Paul is linking prayer with an open door. Like so many people, man, like in life they think that I got to make things happen. I, I got I to gotta show my boss like what, my talents or I, I got to open this door. I, I mean, I, I'm the captain of my salvation. This is how Americans think. So I have to make things happen. Well, Paul would just like, he kind of goes against the grain of that attitude, and he would say, no, 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 no. God is the one who makes things happen. God is the one who opens up doors for you. God is the one who directs your steps. The steps of a good man are not ordered by a good man. Steps of a good man, a good woman, what? They're ordered by the Lord. He orders your steps. He opens doors. And this open door is, is obviously an open door to those who, whose heart is closed to the gospel. But Paul is saying, hey, man, if you want open doors uh, at your place of work, if you want open doors in your city, uh, in your neighborhood, with your family, man, make a commitment to pray. God in prayer will open doors. Can I get an amen? Then he says, on account of which I am in prison. I love this. Paul's in prison, he's in house arrest, and um, he, I, I love how he sees all things with this refreshing perspective. Uh, and this is revolutionary for a lot of us because we're so American, but when he said on account of which I am in prison, he's essentially saying, hey, the most important thing about you is uh, not what happens to you. The most important thing about you is how you respond to what happens to you. So Paul's saying, hey, I'm in prison. I get it, man. I, I just, it's like disgusting. I don't like the dungeon. Don't have any Wi-Fi, right? Like I'm messed up. Like um, just, it's a little frustrating. But he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I know that, man, Jesus is king. He's the king of the cosmos. And there's nothing that lies outside of his sovereign love. So Jesus is not surprised that I'm in prison. He actually might have intended this in a very mysterious and for, for on my end, muddled way. But I know that, man, God is up to something in this difficult circumstance. So we got to re-see. We got to reframe. We talked about this a couple of months ago. We got to reframe suffering. We got to reframe our trouble. We got to reframe our problems, knowing that God knows what you're going through. And let's make the most of every opportunity in our life. So the most important thing about you is not what happens to you. It's how you respond to what happens to you. And Paul refuses to write revenge poetry. 
Uh, Paul refuses to hate on the empire, right? Paul makes a commitment to love and to pray while being in prison. Put that in your theological pipe, right? And don't smoke it. Okay. Verse 4. I'm tired, guys. I was up early. I had two hours of sleep last night. I am just proud of myself that I am here right now. Where am I, guys? Mine, come back to me. Mine, mine, come back to me. Verse 4. And then he continues, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So prayer is connected to speaking. Uh, And then he moves forward into verse 5. And he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. The original language, best use of the time, uh, is to get a bargain. Uh, Do we have any bargain shoppers? You like bargain shopping? Uh, Maybe another way, uh, you guys like Black, is it Black Friday, right? Around Thanksgiving, you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning at Best Buy and Target, and you're sitting outside, you're freezing, and you're yelling at people, and you feel weird, you're drinking tons of coffee, and you're hopping around. Anyways, uh, maybe some of you are like that. You can't wait to get, like, the bargain at the, at the store. It's kind of a picture of what Paul is saying. Hey, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Know that there are going to be bargains out there. That you just, you just be faithful, right? You make sure you commit your, uh, commit your life to prayer, and God will give you an open door. And I want you, that Paul is saying, I want you to make the best use of that time. Bargains everywhere. Come on. There are opportunities everywhere. The question is, are you awake to those opportunities? Are you alert to those opportunities? And then Paul moves into verse 6. And he says, as Trace talked about this, uh, my sister, a couple weeks ago, says, let your speech always be gracious. Everyone say gracious. I love that. Always be gracious. Not sometimes. Be gracious. He says, season with salt. In the ancient Near East, to season something with salt was an idiom for um, to be witty. Uh, pagan writers, basically when they said, make sure that your conversation is seasoned with salt, they essentially are saying, don't be boring. So is that what Paul is saying? Like, don't be boring? I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think what Paul is saying is make sure that uh, you, you salt your conversation with grace and generosity. Yeah. Right? I mean, some of us are boring and we can't help it, right? I, I think I'm a little bit boring, Right? I can't help it. I can't help how God's wired me or you. So I don't think it's about, oh, I got to be something that I'm not. I think what Paul is saying is, uh, man, take your conversation and, and season it with grace. Season it with grace. And it's grace that draws out the flavors. Like as salt draws out the flavors in food, grace draws out the life in people. Like Proverbs chapter 15 says, um, a good word makes the bones fat. In other words, it invigorates someone. In Proverbs 18, 21, many of you are familiar with this, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. So your words, and I want you to hear me, never underestimate, never underestimate how powerful and significant your words are. A good word or a bad word can alter the trajectory of someone's life. One word. One word can change everything for somebody. I just heard of a story of a pastor, uh, and he actually runs a very large church, and he was about 15, 20 years ago, he brought in an at-risk um, young man into his home, and he would, this is kind of his practice, so every weekend uh, for a couple days, he would bring in some at-risk youths. So, youths, right? And so, um, he, uh, he took in this young man, and this young man grew up in a very dysfunctional home. And uh, he was told by many people that this kid was a liar. He was physically abused most of his life, but he lied. He would steal things. Uh, and a lot of people recommended that this guy, this young man, about 14, 15, um, wouldn't go to this pastor's house. But the pastor's like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to see. So he met this young man, I think it was on a Friday. And before this young man could say anything, he came up to him, the pastor, and he greeted uh, this kid, and uh, he just started speaking life over him. It's a powerful story. When I heard this, I started crying. He's like, he just started speaking life over him. This 14-year-old kid who uh, never had a good authority figure in his life um, in, for, for the very first time was experiencing grace. So he just started saying, hey, you know what? Um, I, I think there's some good things in you. Like, I just, I got to be honest with you, so-and-so. Um, I think God has a, a great plan for your life. And maybe no one's ever told you that, 
but uh, I feel like God speaks to me, and I just wanted to share that with you. God has some good things in store for you. And by the way, I know you're going to stay in my house, but I think you're a really honest kid. I think, I, I, I think um, and I, I kind of know your history, um, but let's not worry about that. I, I think you're going to rise up to the challenge. I believe in you. And he, for about five to ten minutes, he just spoke life and grace and generosity and encouraged this kid. He didn't really see this kid afterwards for a while. About ten years later, he came back and shared with his pastor that that ten-minute conversation in that weekend uh, that he had with the pastor altered his destiny. In fact, this kid now, who grew up in a dysfunctional home, is now leading a thriving ministry. Isn't it amazing how one word, man, one word can alter the trajectory of someone's life for good or for bad. That's why we got to get away from verbal autopsies, right? Social media autopsies. You're not a coroner. Stop dissecting people. The president, NFL players, I offended everybody. Stop it. Stop. And I, it's okay to have an opinion, okay? I'm okay with that. If you want to post that, that's great. Most people can't post an opinion without totally dehumanizing themselves. But that doesn't apply to anyone in this room, okay? Um, it's funny. Christians, man, they say the darndest things, and I'm okay with speaking truth, but you got you to gotta speak truth in love. Can I get an amen to that? But I think... It, at the end of the day, mercy always triumphs over judgment. Pretty, I think all of you, don't close your heart on me. Mercy always triumphs over judgment, right? And so I think we have an obligation because of what Jesus has done for us is to season our speech with grace and encouragement and life. Can I get an amen to that? And I'm going to continue to talk about this. So please don't be offended with me. This is important, though, that we show God's love to people. So he moves them. So he's built this practical base um, before moving into the grand finale. We come to verse 7. Paul lists off ten names. Everyone say names. I love this because Paul is giving us a picture of heaven in microcosm. The next, like, ten verses, I've never seen this before until the last several weeks as I've just kind of looked at this. Here we have heaven in microcosm. How many of you want to know what heaven is like? Heaven is like, four of you do. Okay. Heaven is a vast, this is my definition, heaven is a vast multitude of friends. And what Paul does masterfully over the next, like, eight, nine verses is he stitches together this beautiful diversity of people centered around King Jesus. He, he brings together, this, uh, he creates almost this bond. He, he, like, he's inviting this, this young Colossian church into this fellowship of mutual love and friendship. Let me just say this really quick. Man, we've been talking about a lot of big ideas, and those big ideas are important. How many of you know that we have to think like a Christian? But to think like a Christian means to me that you have to value every single person. People matter. You matter. This moment matters, right? Your kids matter. Uh, life matters. Let people in ministry really matters. Everything about you matters. Can I get an amen to that? God's not a faceless bureaucrat who doesn't care about you. God loves you, and he's for you. It's funny, this morning when I was at SeaTac and we are in the security line, and this woman... Um, Something, she went through the x-ray machine. Is that what you call it? Whatever. Um, it's like all sci-fi sci tech stuff. I'm like, I just go through. Put your arms up, and then you go through. Anyways, I'm in a weird mood tonight. Um, so this woman actually, she couldn't go through, and the, the beep, beeper thing went off. And so one of the guards, the TSA agent, started yelling. I mean, it's 4.30 in the morning. And he starts yelling, female. He's looking at everybody. Female check. Female, female, female. He said it about like 10 times, and I'm like, I wanted to scream back to him. She has a name, right? Not just some female, right? We get it. But she has a name. And uh, I think a lot of people, when they come to church, they kind of feel like that in their relationship with God. Like God is some faceless bureaucrat. He just kind of counts you. Oh, there's, there's number 75 billion person, right? 
or there's X, or, you know, like God's counting, he's doing arithmetic and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the kingdom of Jesus, God doesn't count us, he calls us. He names us. And I love it when we name our kids, Wesley, Quincy, Whitney. Um, behind um, the act of naming our children is just sheer joy, affection, and love. I love to say my kids' names all day long, even to myself. I love to pray over them. I love to say, Wesley. Why? Because it reminds me how much I love him. And I think Paul is kind of saying something like this, that we're entering into this fellowship of mutual love, that these 10 people is, a, is a really a, a radical picture of how you and I all belong. We all come from different backgrounds, right? Uh, we all have different experiences. We all, some of us have different ethnicity. Some of us have come from different parts of the country. Some of us come from a different cultural framework. But we're here tonight. And I just want to insist as we go through this list that, um, man, if, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, you belong. Even if you haven't made a, a decision to follow Jesus, God still loves you. He's still your father, and he's still working on your behalf. And so Paul, he, um, let me say this actually really quick. Friendship matters. I'm thinking about friendship a lot. Friendship matters. Uh, in the modern Western world, we don't value friendship. We value affection, right? And that's important. We need to take care of our kids. We've got to raise our families. That's a good thing. Uh, we talk about that kind of love, and we also talk about apocalyptic romance, right? Pop culture, we have the notebook. You went to school. Was it ninth grade uh, English, honors English? You read about Romeo and Juliet. So the modern Western world is obsessed over erotic love and passion and apocalyptic romance, right? Now, I believe God's invented, not apocalyptic, but romance. Can I get an amen to that? And God has invented affection. Those are two good things. But it's funny, in our modern Western world, we've marginalized friendship. Here Paul is making... And I'm just kind of setting up the case here as I go before I get to these names. I think Paul is making the case that friendship really matters. That friendship is all about, you know what friendship is? Friendship is not like trying to be friends with somebody. Friendship is more like, um, let's say in the context of tonight, it's like you serving Jesus, you're in love with him, and you're following him, and uh, as you continue to follow Jesus, people come alongside of you, and you start talking, and you both realize, oh, you too? You love Jesus too? Oh, you, oh, okay, so you like worship too? I like worship too. Or man, I, I like, I like, man, I like philosophy. Oh man, you too, right? This is what C.S. Lewis, and this is what Ralph Waldo Emerson talked about. Man, friendship is not um, friendship for the sake of friendship. Friendship is organized around a common vision. It's when you, you've been, you're, you're following like a, a vision, someone com comes alongside of you, and you're like, oh man, okay, you, you wanna do the same thing? Okay, can, you wanna be friends or whatever? You can have that conversation, but let's, let's go after Jesus, right? I think so many times people are obsessed with trying to get friends, and they wonder why they don't have friends. Don't worry about trying to get friends. You just follow Jesus. You, you give your life to Jesus, and friends will start coming alongside of you, right? You, you get this common vision. This is what I love about, like, Stranger Things or, like, Steven Spielberg, Goonies, right? these coming-of-age movies that focus on, you know, you got the bikes and all the kids, right? And they have this adventure. Like, it's kind of this potpourri of, of like, kids. Like, you have a bully. You got the leader. You got the nerd, right? You got all these different type, uh, archetypes. Hollywood loves archetypes. Uh, but you have all these friends, or some of them aren't, aren't even friends, come together around this adventure. I think this is what Paul is saying. Hey, guys, this is an adventure. Heaven has crashed or come forward into the present. You can be a part of this. And if you give your heart to this man, friends will start coming around you. So that kind of sets us up. Actually, I, let me say this. C.S. Lewis talked about friendship. And he said, we don't choose our friends. He says, for the Christian, chance happenings don't ever occur. He says, strictly speaking for Christians, there's no chances when it comes to friendship. 
secret master of the ceremonies, has been at work. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. You think it's an accident that we're here tonight? You think it's an accident that I'm your pastor, right? Or you're here and you have your friends? No, no. God chooses our friends for us. Obviously, you have a choice to make and you have your preferences. Like, man, I don't understand tambourine people. I probably won't be a friend with a tambourinist. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but, but God ultimately chooses our friends with us. And I think we're going into a season where we're going to see God do incredible things. And I think the most important thing that we need is friends. Right? Friends who are um, organizing their lives around a common vision, building for the kingdom of Jesus. That's what I want us to experience. And I think as this next chapter unfolds um, for us as a church, you're going to find that. You commit yourself to what God is speaking to you and to his vision for your life, and you'll find friends coming alongside of you. This is where we come to verse 7. Paul then writes, we have 10 names. He goes, Tychicus. Everyone say, Tychicus. We'll tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, this is, this is Paul's a master. He's showing us what heaven is like. He's stitching together this potpourri of diversity. Tychicus, you're faithful. He'd be, uh, he's like, uh, he'd be like Pastor Connie. Um, always faithful, uh, always, she's true to her word. Uh, we know that Tychicus was with Paul on one of his missionary journeys. Uh, he was from Asia, and he actually carried the letter to uh, the Ephesians, um, a letter to Ephesus, excuse me, uh, the letter of the Ephesians. He carried it. He was the fellow worker with Paul. And so Paul, man, just really loves Tychicus. So we have that. He kind of, he's building suspense. He tells us a little bit about Tychicus, and then he moves to verse 8. It's a hard word to pronounce, a hard name to pronounce. I've said it too much. Let's move on. I've sent him to you. So Paul moves on and says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I love this. Tychicus encourages people. He loves people. He's faithful. His speech is is seasoned with grace. And verse 9 Paul says, and then with him, we have Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that he has taken place or that has taken place here. So we have, we'll call Tychicus Ty. We got Ty, right? So we got Ty and we have Onesimus. You don't know anything about Onesimus. He was a slave. In this first century, um, up to 50% of the population consisted of slaves. So obviously, I don't have to say this, but slavery is dehumanizing. And most slaves were branded. Not only do we know that Onesimus was a slave, he actually stole from his master, and he ran away. Somehow, by chance, there's no chance. Can I get an amen to that? He found Paul, or Paul found him, or Jesus brought Onesimus into Paul's life. He gave his life to Jesus. And now we have Onesimus, um, who was a slave and who was... a robber, right? He stole stuff, a thief. And this is what Paul says over him. He is a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. One of you. So we have Ty. He's, he's the church guy who never did anything wrong, right? He probably sinned like eight times in his life. Like, and, and Ty feels bad about his testimony because he gets up and it's like, like two sentences, Right? Um, Guys, uh, I got really bitter at uh, the Dallas Cowboys four weeks ago. Please forgive me. That's my testimony. Jesus saved me, right? That's Ty. Onesimus is the guy, well, no, I stole stuff, right? Not only was I in a dehumanizing situation, a very dysfunctional environment, I stole stuff. I was a thief. I was a liar. And yet Jesus saved me. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's stitching these two together. Onesimus would be the guy who come up and he would, he would have like five pages worth of notes if he was to share his testimony of who he used to be. And yet God brings all kinds of people together into this circle or into this fellowship of friendship. It's beautiful. It will tell you everything that has taken place here. 
And then he moves forward into verse 10 and says, um, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. You don't know anything about Aristarchus. He's from Thessalonica. He's, anybody have a crazy friend? You have a crazy friend? Maybe not. Okay. Aristarchus, I just imagine him. This, this is how my brain works. He's crazy. In Acts 19 or 20, um, Paul is actually now like surrounded with this riot. It's all about him. There's this mob going on. Aristarchus runs into the center, grabs Paul's arm and says, you ready? Let's do this, right? He's like crazy. He's one of those friends that, man, you're going through a difficult problem or a difficult season. He'll come alongside of you. He's not the guy I'll pray for you, but doesn't pray for you, right? He's the guy that comes alongside of you and he uses we language. He's like, okay, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna overcome? Yeah, it's crazy, but I ain't leaving you because I love crazy. I love storms. I love problems, right? I love this guy. What Paul says about him, he's my fellow prisoner. Aristarchus is so crazy that he volunteers himself to be under house arrest with Paul. He's like, Paul, you can't do this by yourself. You think you're bad, but man, you need me, right? I need to be with you. We're going to do this together. We're going to link arms. We're going to pray together. I'm never going to leave you. You need a friend like that. Do you have an Aristarchus? Are you an Aristarchus? My fellow prisoner, he greets you. Again, Paul is bonding this young Colossian church to this fellowship of mutual love. And then he says, and then we have Mark. Oh, Mark, Mark, Mark. He wrote the gospel. This is John Mark, the cousin of Bartimaeus. He wrote the gospel of Mark, arguably one of the greatest pieces of literature in human, at least Western history. I would say in all of history. Can I get an amen to that? Mark, 12 years earlier, uh, before Paul wrote this letter, had a falling out with Paul. He wanted, Mark was maybe a coward. He didn't want to continue on uh, Paul's missionary journey, so he left. Paul was frustrated about it, so Barnabas and Paul went one, in one direction. Paul took, um, excuse me, Barnabas and Mark went in one direction. Paul, and I think Silas went in another direction. It took 12 years for Mark and Paul to get reconciled. Paul had a temper, right? And all the redheads said amen to that. 12 years to reconcile, but I love this. God took Mark worked through his life and used the circumstances of his life. I think, you know, to be honest, you know, the key here was Barnabas. Barnabas, we know his name means son of encouragement. Barnabas, I probably, I, I assume, worked 12 years to reconcile his cousin with Paul. We need those kinds of people in church. She said, what to me? He did what? You need a Barnabas who can link you together and will not give up on your relationship that is broken with something. You just see it. You just, it's beautiful. I love it. But Mark now, he's come around, um, and uh, Paul says that uh, he's going to come to you. If he comes to you, he's going to welcome uh, all of you. Verse 11, really quick. And then we have Jesus, who was called Justice. We don't know much about him. His name is Justice. But these three guys, um, Mark and uh, Jesus, who was called Justice, and uh, Eric, Eric Park, can you, can you go back to it? I'm going to call it Aristarchus. Sorry, my brain's not working. These three guys are Jewish in birth. We go to uh, verse 11, and Paul says, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12, and we're almost done. We have Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature, fully assured in all of the will of God. This is a Greek name. He's Greek. We have three Jewish men by birth that are traveling with Paul. Now we have three Greek names. Epaphras, man. Uh, the Colossians know him. They're, he's, he's a part of the church. Uh, he prays. How many of you know we just need a lot of prayers? He's the guy that's fasting all day. He's the guy you go to his house and smoke is coming out of his house because the glory of the Lord has fallen, right? He's the guy that, man, is fasting all the time for you, doesn't care about himself because he wants to see you mature in Jesus. Then we come to verse 13. For I bear him witness that he's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. And then we come to verse 14 as we get close to closing the series. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, he's also Greek. Uh, we all know Luke is a doctor, and he's the one that wrote Luke in Acts. We have a doctor. We have someone who's a part of the 
uh, intelligentsia. Uh, Luke is really smart. I just love, it's just, you have all spectrums of society, a part of this mutual fellowship. And then we've got Demas, 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 right? We don't know much about him, but in 2 Timothy, we know that he left Paul uh, for the world. We don't know what that means. All we know is that he forsook Paul. We come to verse 15. Again, this is the grand finale of Paul's letter to the Colossians. He says, give uh, my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. We have a woman uh, who's probably leading uh, this um, Colossian church. Many scholars believe that. Again, this would have been revolutionary uh, during this time. Women did not have a whole lot of authority in the first century. And yet when it comes to Jesus, all things are turned right side up. And all the women said, amen. And to Nympha and the church in her house. And then he continues in verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also re, um, read the letter from Laodicea. And we're almost done. Are you guys still with me? It's okay. And when this, uh, verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So here's the thing. If you feel like your past disqualifies you, these last eight, nine verses says, no, like don't give in to the lie. Some of you actually think you can't do ministry and you can't be part of what God is doing in this world because of your past. You're haunted by it. You're filled with regret. Stop it. Uh, this is all about belonging. If you're in Christ, you belong. Man, like some people get weirded out. Like, oh, Chris, I come to this church and I don't got skinnies and I feel like I'm an outsider. Stop it. Right? Or some people are like, um, man, I don't want to wear skinnies. All you guys are weird. All you young folk are weird. Right? Or, or some of you are like, I just don't know some of the new songs, like Hillsong or whatever, United. Or some of you like Kim Walker and the ha-ha laugh and ha-ha, whatever. You, you know, you, 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 you don't ha-ha at the right time. You're like, I feel awkward. Like, what's wrong with me? It doesn't matter. Right? It's funny how we look for evidence that we don't belong. So your problem is if you're in Christ, your problem is that you don't belong. The problem is that you look for traces or evidences that tell you that you don't belong. That's the problem. It's such a beautiful picture of grace. Everyone say grace. Grace, grace, grace. So you belong, and then we end here. And this is my final word from this series over this church. You and I are all archipists. You, whether you know it or not, have a ministry. You've got a ministry. And let me say this. If you want to find fulfillment, you have to fulfill your ministry. Say it again. If you want to find fulfillment in your life, you have to fulfill your ministry. Some of you might not know your ministry. That doesn't mean you don't have a ministry. Some of you might not be aware of your strengths. That doesn't mean you don't have strengths. We all have strengths. We're all a part of this mutual bond of friendship. We belong. We're called to serve and to give our lives in this next chapter, the next 25 years. I guarantee it. God is going to do incredible things. Honestly, I think we're going to plant more than 10 campuses. It's, I feel I got a number in my head. Holy Spirit spoke to me. Five o'clock, I think, is the Holy Spirit's favorite service. And in worship, God gave me a number. I'm not going to tell you. Actually, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to seal it in a vault. And in 25 years, we'll see if that was the Holy Spirit or not, right? But this number, it's, it's like beyond what right now we can do. But it does mean if we want to fulfill what God has for us, right, all of us, need to do our part. All of us, all of us need to fulfill our ministry because your ministry is not about yourself. Your ministry, your strengths are about serving each other, being on this adventure, right? Being involved in heaven, rushing forward into the present and doing life together for the sake of our city and the sake of our nation and for the sake of our world have a ministry. And I'm going to pray that God will give you clarity in this next season of your life. And Paul ends. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, right? Don't sweat it. 
it's okay. I'm not sweating it, so you don't need to sweat it. God will work out everything for our good. And then he ends with grace be with you. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I... Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.